Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Today's show is going to be a little different. Pastor Brock, we're going to ask you some questions based on some of the things that you've been preaching and that. And we may get through some of them okay. and some of them we may not. But yep. these are like the hard questions right, that people Jackie. have. Let's just explain this. Everybody, we have been doing this TV show for 31 years and we've gotten lots of hard questions people have, have sent in. And then for nine years, I did a call-in radio show. And so what, what I've decided to do is put all the hard questions into one show. So these are the questions, when people ask these questions, I wince a little bit inside, because I hope I'm right. <laughs> so you can disagree with me on this stuff. Some of this stuff is just a, a stuff that committed Christians disagree on, but I'll do the best I can. So hit it, Jackie. Okay, the first question, Tom, for you will be, how is predestination fair? That is going to be one of the first questions I'm going to ask in heaven. And let's explain what predestination is. <clears throat> there are, that was my next thought. Right. Me. Predestination is the belief that God not only knows the future, he destines the future. And God only, not only knows who's going to accept Christ and be saved, he destines them to receive Christ and be saved. It says in Acts, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the things said by Paul. And it says in the book of Acts, the apostles are preaching, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed in the gospel. So Jackie, let me explain. There's three ways Christians believe in predestination. Number one is called free will. And they believe, uh, this is a very popular belief, Methodists and lots of Christians, probably most Christians believe that God predestines everybody to be saved and you decide in your own free will if you're going to say yes or no to that. My problem with that is I don't see anywhere in the Bible that says God predestines everybody to be saved. If he did, we'd all be saved. All right. The second view is more the Lutheran view. It's called single predestination. And this view teaches that if you are saved, it is only because God predestined you before you were born to be saved. It's not something you did, something the Holy Spirit did in your heart, like Lydia. That's what I believe. The third view is called double predestination. This is Calvinism, that if God predestines you to be saved, you'll be saved. If, and God predestines to be damned people, so they're damned. Now, the question is, which, I know I'm at least a believer in single predestination. When I read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, I wonder if the Calvinists might be right. So what I want to ask you to do is, the, the Lutheran view is, if you're saved, it's only because of God's grace. If you're damned, somehow that's your own fault. And, and so what I would encourage you to do, everybody, read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 very thoroughly. That's the Apostle Paul's view of predestination. And here, here's what Paul says. God hardens whom he wills, and he has mercy on whom he wills. You will say to me, how can God find fault for who can resist his will? Paul's response is, don't talk back to God. 
I wish you would have gotten a clearer answer on that, but we didn't. So, Jackie, in a nutshell, those are my beliefs on Preda. I don't believe in free will. I don't think we can come to God on our own strength and power, but as Luther says, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to Christ. So, Pastor Tom, can a person lose their salvation? Mm -hmm. That's another good one, Jackie. Uh, sincere Christians believe, yes, you can lose it. Other sincere Christians believe, no, if you're really predestined, God will keep you. Now, so like the Calvinists, the Reformed people, they believe if you're truly predestined, God not only predestines and saves you, he keeps you saved till the end. And I think that very well may be true. However, there are enough verses in the Bible about the dangers of falling away. And if you truly fall away, you're not gonna be saved. This is one, I don't mean to be wishy-washy, I'm not 100% sure what I believe about this one. I know that we're eternally secure in Christ as long as we believe in him. But if you turn away from Christ and start living in impenitent sin, uh, I think you're in trouble. So that's, again, my best. <laughs> okay. Are Catholics considered Christian? All right. Bump, ba -dum, bump. Now, let me tell you, we, used to, we for nine years, we did a radio show. And people would call in live with their Bible questions. And if we had a slow day, there were three topics that would make the phones light up. Catholicism, predestination, and infant baptism. <laughs> so let's ask the hard one. Are Catholics Christians? I'm going to give you my best answer. They do believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe Jesus is God. They believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that he died for our sins. They believe in the resurrection of Christ, the bodily rose from the dead. They believe he's coming back in glory. So I think there are a lot of Catholics who are Christians. Now, do Catholics believe we're saved by grace alone and not by our good works? That's where the rubber meets the road. and. I think there are some Lutherans that aren't saved and there are some Catholics that aren't saved because they're trusting their own goodness to save them rather than trusting Christ on the cross. So I don't believe in praying to Mary. I don't believe in praying to the saints. I don't believe in pur purgatory because it's not in the Bible. I don't believe in indulgences where you do something to get the Pope to get grandma out of purgatory quicker. That's what started the Reformation was the indulgence controversy. So. There we go, Jackie, that's my answer. Okay, so then how can God damn someone if they've never heard about Christ? Yeah, this is a hard one. You mean God's sending these people in Africa that have never heard Christ, he's sending them to hell. And, and here's my response. God doesn't send anyone to hell because they didn't have the chance to hear about Jesus. God sends people to hell because of their sin. And, and so, uh, you know, Jackie, some people say, well, everybody will get a chance to receive Christ sometime in their life before they die. My response is, where is that in the Bible? I don't know anywhere in the Bible that teaches that. Paul does teach in Romans chapter 2 that he has written, God has written his law on our heart. So we know that there's a God and we know the Ten Commandments on our heart, but, but we break the Ten Commandments. It's only by the preaching of the cross that people come to salvation. So if a person is committing adultery, will that person, if they get divorced and remarried, can they? Yeah, let, let's ask it this way. Can you divorce your spouse and marry somebody new? Is that adultery? And Jesus said, 
whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Therefore, and this is a hard one, uh, if you're watching this show and you're in a rough marriage, I would encourage you to stay in that marriage. If you have to divorce for the sake of your safety or whatever, okay, but then stay single. Because Jesus said in Matthew 19, um, if you divorce and remarry, you're committing adultery. Now, then you get the question, but pastor, I've already done that. I've divorced my spouse. I've married a new person. Should I get unmarried now and be single? And I'm going to give you the best I can on this. I think you stay married in that new situation. Because in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, some of you were adulterers, but you were washed. You were sanctified in, in, in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. So I would ask God's forgiveness for getting remarried, but I'd stay in the new marriage and pray for God's grace to make it work. However, just my dad was Catholic, <laughs> and I was raised Lutheran, mom was Lutheran, but I was, my dad, I was baptized Catholic. My grandma, Brock, married a, a, a divorced man, and grandma was Catholic. She fell away from the church. When she wanted to get back into the good graces of the Catholic Church, the priest said, okay, you can take communion, but you and your husband have to live as brother and sister. You can't have sex. And I think they did it. Now, that's the Catholic view. I don't think that's right, but I, I, it's not impossible that's right. I will tell you what I don't believe in is for pastors just to remarry people to new people because, hey, grace, grace, grace. No, no. Jesus said... Well, read, read, read Matthew chapter 19 and then read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Those are the two divorce chapters. Okay. You know, this next question is, is masturbation a sin? Isn't that a fun question? <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's, here's my thought. Is there a clear verse in the Bible that says masturbation is a sin? No, there isn't. But lust is a sin, and most people during masturbation are not thinking about good, holy, pure things. So I, I, my understanding, I, I believe it's a sin uh, because of what accompanies it. And, uh, but is there a super clear verse says that it's a sin? No, but lust is a sin. And Jesus said if you look at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery in your heart. So I'd stay away from it. Okay. How does a person know their religion is true and the others are false? Yeah. I mean, what gives yeah. the Pastor clues? Brock, how do you know your religion is true and the others are false? Well, I struggled with that in college. And then I found a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And he takes you through all the archaeological evidence that has been uncovered and then some of the uh, amazing Bible prophecies that were written a thousand years before Christ was born that he fulfilled. I would encourage you, if you wonder if there's evidence that the Christian faith is the true faith, I just encourage you to get evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hasn't the Bible changed after hundreds of years of being passed down? Yeah, you get I mean, this a lot. That, you have so many different versions of the right. Bible even. And, and so people say this, well, your Bible's been handed down for hundreds of years and that got changed and added to it and all this stuff. No offense, but they don't know the history of this. The Old Testament was written over a series of, of hundreds of years. 
uh, and passed down carefully by the Jews. It was their holy scriptures. They're not going to play with it. And in fact, the reason the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was discovered in, in 1948, was it, in Palestine, they found ancient Old Testament books from, that were written 200 B.C., and they compared them to what we had from, I think, uh, like 1,000 or 900 A.D., virtually identical. So the Jews were very careful about this. But let's talk about the New Testament, Jackie. The New Testament was completed by about 90 or 100 A.D., the last book of the Bible being Revelation. All right, Jesus died on the cross around 33 A.D., then early books like the book of James, the Gospel of Mark, are written within, I don't know, 20, 30 years of Christ's death, and then they're all written within about 60 years of Christ's death. We're not talking hundreds of years. We're talking within 60 years or so of the death of Christ. And again, these were very important letters to the early Christians. They copied them down. They were careful because they knew that this was God talking. So when people say it's been changed over hundreds of years, no offense, they don't know what they're talking about. Again, evidence that demands a verdict, or another one uh, by F.F. Bruce, B-R-U-C-E, are the New Testament documents reliable? And I'll take you through the evidence on this. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that. My next one is, can a Mormon be a Christian? Well, we did a TV show on this in the recent past. If you go to pastorstudy.org, look for the TV show called why Mormonism is not Christianity. And, and here's the, all right, Jackie, about two weeks ago, I had a long, difficult talk with a Mormon. And I basically said, you know, no offense, but I don't believe Mormonism is Christianity. And he started to cry. And he said, well, I believe in Jesus as my savior. And I said, you know, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but your Jesus is not the Jesus of the New Testament. And I said, my Jesus is the eternal God, and there's one God. Your Jesus is one of thousands of gods. Mormons believe that our God, the Father that we worship, didn't used to be God. He was a Mormon man on another planet and attained Godhood. And if you're a good Mormon, you too can attain a whole universe one day to worship you as a God. And I said to him, this is nowhere in the Bible. So, so you know, and I did say to him this, though, too. Is it possible there's someone in the Mormon church that has no idea that they teach all this stuff? I think it is. And could that person be saved? I think so. But it's in spite of, not because of, the Mormon church. Okay, this is kind of a hard one, I think, for you. Why do some Christians baptize babies? This isn't even in the New Testament, okay. um, yet it's become a tradition for okay. people to do it, but a little baby. Yeah, and my response is, how do you know it's not in the New Testament? Let, let me explain this. I, I went to a Beth Baptist college, and I was raised Lutheran. I go home to my Lutheran pastor, and I said, why are we baptizing babies? That's nowhere in the Bible. And he said, not so fast. And he showed me places in the Bible where it says whole households were baptized. And his point was, of course that would have included children. Back in that day and age, they had larger families. And, so, and then he sh the other thing is in Colossians 2, it likens baptism to Old Testament circumcision. Read Colossians chapter 2. And in Old Testament, eight-day-old babies were circumcised to show the new Old Covenant. Well, why can't we have 
babies baptized in the New Covenant, the New Testament. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to be 16 years old to be baptized. And it doesn't even say you have to be three. So a lot of, well, let's go through them. Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian churches all baptize babies. Uh, Baptist, evangelical type churches uh, don't. But the overwhelming history of the church has been to baptize children because we're all born in sin. I love my Baptist friends. I don't doubt their salvation at all. But on this one, I think they're wrong. Yeah. Okay. Why do you believe in the Trinity when that word isn't even in the Bible? Mm -hmm. They are right when the Jehovah's Witness come to your door bringing what they call Christianity, which it isn't. They will tell you the Trinity is of the devil. The word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible. My response is they're right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept of the Trinity starts in Genesis chapter 1 and goes all the way through the Bible. Jackie, in the very first paragraph of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created. That's God the Father. And the Spirit of God was moving over to the face of the waters. That's God the Holy Spirit. And God said, let there be light. The Word of God, according to John 1.1, 1, 1, is Jesus. You find the Trinity in the first paragraph of the Bible. So, you know, if you don't want to call it the Trinity, okay. But the Bible teaches the concept of the Trinity, that there's one God in three eternal persons. Okay. If a person is trusting their good works for salvation, but says they're a Christian, are they really truly saved? You know, this is, uh, let me tell you what happened once. One of the people from your church, Jackie, was in the hospital. So I went to visit her and, well, Mrs. So-and-so, are you sure you're saved? Oh, I hope so, Pastor. I said, well, you know, the Bible says you can know so, but if you died today and God said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And she came out with the number one wrong answer. I've been good. And I explained, no, you haven't been good. We're sinners. The only way we get to heaven is by Christ's death on the cross for our sins. And she said, oh, that's right. That's what I meant. <laughs> so one minute, she's trusting her own goodness for her salvation. The next minute, she said, oh, what I mean is I'm trusting Christ. From, you know, only the Lord knows what he's going to do with a soul like that. <laughs> but I sure wouldn't want to be doing that so there you go okay can you be saved and yet not have the assurance of your salvation yeah you know I think th that's a good question can uh, the let's say there's somebody they believe in Christ they know he's their Savior but they're not sure they're going to heaven are they going to heaven I think you can be saved without having the assurance now I wouldn't want to live that way in fact Jackie I didn't get the assurance of my salvation till I was in college and that's when somebody explained first John 5 13 I write this that you may know that you have eternal life that's when I came to assurance and it was such a blessing I think I was saved before then but confused so if, if somebody's watching this and you're not sure you're saved open your Bible first John chapter 5 verse 13 that verse changed my life Pastor Brock, there's so many ways of, for baptism. Mm -hmm. Why do people sprinkle in baptism when the New Testament, it was total immersion? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Right. Um, first of all, I don't like sprinkling either. In fact, that may have been the way I was baptized. I was baptized by a Catholic priest, and I don't know what he did. But I like, if I'm going to do a baby, actually, you know what the Orthodox Church does? They totally immerse babies. 
I kind of like that. Why not? You know, it's not like it's going to kill them. Um, but, uh, or at least pouring. I don't like the sprinkling. I would question whether the New Testament teaches total immersion. It very well may have been total immersion when John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples were baptizing people. And I like total immersion. If I'm going to baptize an adult, I'd prefer to do total immersion. But the word baptizo in Greek, to baptize, doesn't always mean total immersion. Because Jesus says, you Pharisees, now you baptize your hands. Well, he means washing their hands. Whether they totally submerge their hands is a question. So, and and the, the big deal is not how much water you get on you. It's, it's that you are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the big deal. And, you know, let me just quickly tell you this, Jackie. So, across the street from where I live is a Methodist church. A liberal pastor is there. I visited one Sunday morning. He gets up to baptize the baby. I baptize you in the name of the one who made all things and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Did you catch what he did? He got rid of God the Father because some liberal pastors think it's oppressive and sexist to call God our Father. I wrote him a little note. I stuck it. I found out where his P.O. box was. I stuck it in the box. I said, Pastor, Jesus taught us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't have the right to change that. If I was the dad, I would have wanted to rebaptism. <laughs> That's how serious that is. So it's not the amount of water. It's baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. I don't know. I think we're getting really... We got, actually, we have five minutes. Five yep. minutes? Yep. Okay, then I do have another one for you. If it could be proved that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, would a person believe it anyway? Yeah. You know, I, I remember in seminary, a professor said to all of us seminary students, let's say they found the bones and we could prove that Jesus never rose from the dead. Would you still probably believe he rose from the dead anyway? Isn't that a question to, to ponder? And uh, Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen from the dead, we are, and, and if we've only believed in Christ for this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So the truth is, if Christ really didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is a hoax. And if they could prove it, I don't know how they would, <laughs> but if they could prove that Jesus was still dead, then yeah, I guess we shouldn't believe in him, but how would you prove such a thing? I don't think you can. And his look at the look at how this world has changed because of the life of one man. Nobody, Buddha, Muhammad, nobody has changed our planet like the life of Christ. So. All right. So why does a good, omnipotent God permit suffering? All right. Of all the questions that we're doing today. This is the hardest. Why does a loving, omnipotent God who could stop all the evil, why does he allow all this evil and suffering in the planet? And that one, Jackie, I think we wait until heaven to get the answer to. I think we have a partial answer to it, however. Jackie, if, if you and I were to ask God to end all evil on this planet, guess what? Both you and I would die right now. Aren't you glad God doesn't wipe out all the evil on the planet? If he did, you and I, everybody would be gone. So part of the reason he allows the evil, God is not willing that any man should perish. Uh, he's, he is uh, waiting, waiting for all to reach repentance. He wants many people to be saved. So that's why he doesn't wipe us out immediately. He wants people to be saved. 
Does God ever cause the suffering? He does. Some people say, oh, that's a horrible view of God. You cannot read the Old and New Testaments without, I mean, who is it that rained fire and brimstone on Sodom? It wasn't the devil. It says God did that. Who is it that flooded the world during Noah's Ark? It wasn't the devil that did that. God killed those people. In the New Testament, too. Who is it that zapped? Herod, so that he died and got eaten by worms. It says the angel of the Lord did that. And even, Jackie, in 1 Corinthians 11, Christians are getting drunk on communion. And Paul said, that is why some of you are sick and dying. You're being judged by the Lord. So yes, God can himself also cause suffering for, for our good. He's the loving father that spanks us when he has to, but it's for our good. Yeah. How can God condemn Judas when Judas was just carrying out God's will? This is the hard predestination question yeah. again. Was it God's will for Jesus to be crucified? The answer is yes, that's why he came, that's our salvation. But so how could God hold Judas accountable for getting Jesus onto the cross when that was part of God's plan? Jesus said he knew from the beginning who it was who was gonna deny him. All right, so here's, I'm gonna try this, I hope this works, if you read, um, Isaiah chapter 10, the king of Assyria is going to come and punish the Jews for their idolatry. And God is going to use the king of Assyria to do that. But then God turns around and punishes the king of Assyria for doing it. So the question is, what's going on? Well, if you read Isaiah 10, yes, he is my instrument, but it does, he does not so intend. And his thought is, I'm going to help God uh, get the Jews back. His, his thought is, I'm going to kill these Jews. So his motive was not the motive of, of God's. And when Judas kill, had Jesus uh, betrayed, he wasn't thinking, here, let me carry out the plan of God. He did it because he was jealous and he hated Jesus. So his motive is what can condemn him. Okay, this next one I'm a little unsure about asking. I'm not quite sure I understand it. Okay. How is it fair for God to hold us accountable for Adam's sin? All right, now we've got one minute left and that's a long one, but let me just encourage people. Read Romans chapter 5, where it talks about how Adam got us all damned, okay. and then Jesus got us all saved. And Jackie, you and I and every human that have ever been born have been born with something called original sin. We're all tainted with sin because Adam and Eve passed sin on to all their descendants. Okay. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. So this is why we baptize babies. We're all born in sin. How is it fair for God to damn me because of what Adam did? I'm not sure how to answer that. All I can say is read Romans 5 and sin isn't fair. I mean, Jackie, how come you had to suffer because maybe you had an alcoholic dad? Or how come Judy had to suffer because she had an abusive uh, of, uh, husband or father or whatever? Sin isn't fair, but hallelujah, God gave us Jesus to get us out of it. <laughs> All right. Want to say goodbye? Yeah, everybody. Thanks for watching the pastor's study, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for watching the pastor's study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294. Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, 
Would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.